Hello, everyone. We are AAALC, and we welcome everyone to our conversation. This will be a relaxed and open dialogue that gives others a small window into how we feel and think. Today is going to be a conversation basically amongst most of the members of AAALC, and we are going to be talking about colorism. And for those of you who don't know, colorism is, um, how would I explain it? Colorism is thought process or a mindset where someone's color makes them better than or less than someone else. And it's something that has affected not only the black community or African-American community, but affects other races and religions all over the world. So we're just going to have a conversation about that. Um, and yeah, just going to be an open forum for everyone to add in their two cents and just, like I said, have an open conversation. So here we go. <laughs> uh, so we Jerrica anything you want to add to that intro or no? yeah no I think it's going to be a really impactful conversation especially because in the black community I think we talked about before coloring starts back when slavery started you know you, you got to think about those conversations we had beforehand how we divided um are the, the slaves back in the day comparable to the house and the ones who worked in the field. So I think that's where colorism starts for the black community and then has prospered and, and not prospered, which is a party word, but it's, it's kept going into a current, uh, in our current climate we have now. Yeah. And like Jericho was saying, it started with slavery where the slave masters or whoever was in charge based on the color of the slave's skin would determine if they were going to be out in the field or in the house and then everywhere in between based on different shades so the lighter you were the you were in the house or close to the house and the darker you were you were out in the fields which is a terrible way to you know treat anyone but you know slavery we know that was a terrible thing that happened but the ramifications of that still happen today um, we see it in movies, television, uh, music videos, pretty much. Um, and this is just from what I have gathered from my experience, just seeing it in all those forms of media, commercial, and even in just smaller communities where people, you know, talk to other people differently because of their color of their skin. Um, has anyone have had any experience with that that they would like to share? I, I can honestly say I have not, um, but then uh, being, being, being white makes that uh, a little bit different. But, you know, when you're talking about this, I think one of the questions that comes to my mind is, you know, was, was colorism, did that come about because of slavery or does anybody have any statistics on whether or not this was actually uh, something that occurred prior to that? I mean, has this, this, has this been going on for years or is this what you would probably call a relatively new thing. So from the research that I did, its history is, is rooted in slavery, where mm -hmm. slaves with lighter skin were assigned domestic tasks. So uh, taking care of the slave masters, children, cleaning, cooking, all that stuff within the house or close to the house. And then the slaves with the darker skin were further and further away from the house. So in the fields or doing a lot of the other harder tasks. So it basically was a value system that 
ranked slaves based on their skin tone or skin color, basically saying lighter ones who were, I guess, closer to being white could do more of the um, higher tasks that the slave masters had for them. And that's based on my research. I don't know if Jericho wants to add anything there. Yeah, I think when I looked, I went to the um, African American Museum, and that was pretty much the same um, tone when you walk in. Like the first thing you see is you talk about um, slavery and talks about how slaves got over here and who was sectioned off into different parts based off of their aesthetic, right? And that at that time was color um, of their skin to make sure that it was more mindful when people came in to visit the household that they felt like welcomed. Um, and, you know, we, I think in the current time, this is my personal opinion, is that you, when you see a darker skinned person, ter- typically more people are fearful at times of people like that. They're assuming an assumption of them as a profile, like this person is bad because of their skin color, because of the history you have behind it. And so I know directly for like my my father, my brothers who are more dark skinned like I am, um, they've had that happen to them a couple of times. And I have friends who are fairer skinned. They're like, well, you know, it's a little bit easier for them to get around the world. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's actually, that's fascinating. I think, you know, because you talk about it being other, in other cultures as well. And, you know, as I'm going down through my learning experience, I don't know much about other cultures like Hispanic, um, Latino, those, those kinds of areas being subject to yet to that, yet it does exist there as well. Well, yeah, when I think going back to our episode with uh, Basilio for Hispanic Heritage Month, I think we talked about um, the Hispanics that we often see portrayed in media. They're often lighter, lighter complexion, lighter skin, more palatable to white audiences, I guess you could say it that way. And then when you actually look at like the demographics of these countries, there's a lot more darker skinned people than you actually think. So like Brazil has a whole darker skin, you know, I forget what, um, what's the word for their classifications. And no, it's not Afro, is it Afro-Latina? Is that what we figured out with Basilio? Yeah, they called Afro-Latino. Yeah, Afro-Latino, Afro-Latino, no. Yeah, so they have a lot of Brazil and a lot of Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean was born through slavery. And a lot of the people there are darker skinned because of that. But through media, you don't really see a lot of that sometimes. And it's only, I think, now within the past maybe five years in media, we're seeing a lot of darker skinned people being portrayed in the media in positive ways. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've seen a, a lot of uh, foreign TV shows on Netflix also kind of show that demographics, uh, Brazilian stuff and European, mm-hmm. <clears throat> in which it kind of gives a different a different viewpoint than, than your normal American sense. Yeah. But I, I do have one question. Um, <clears throat> Given given the, I guess you can say the, the preferential societal treatment towards lighter skin uh, black people, is there is there any conflict or blowback within the black community itself versus the the dark yes. and the light? Yes. Oh my God, Adam, you hit the ding on the bell, ding 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 ding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I guess I, I'm gonna go to like the whole the brag the brown bag theory 
was like the where it's probably started in initially. So back in the day, and I'm not sure if it's like the early 1920s or going to 50s, you were classified based off of a brown bag. And if you didn't pass that thought process, you were you were darker than it, then you were like kind of like cached into the side. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of threw people into what it's meant to like, you have to be this light person, you have to be fairer skin to get to the next step or get to the next corporate job, particularly, or get to be promoted because it was more seen to have a lighter skin was the best opportunity for you, you to become wealthy or rich in the black community, particularly. Mm-hmm. Mm. You'll even hear stories, or sorry, Paul, go ahead. No, I, I, it's just a fascinating, like, Thing because I, I mean I don't I don't think of it um, in in this way right but now now that we're talking about this it makes me wonder I, I would assume that Barack Obama right was considered light skin right is, is that correct um, he's like in between he's kind of he's on the lighter side but he's not light skin light skin um, I'm trying to think of an example for you in my head. Uh, um. Uh, what about um? What's her name? Card the girl from um Cosby Show. What's her name? John. Lisa Bonet. She's... Lisa yeah. Bonet. Yeah, she's she's considered light skin. Um, I don't know if you've seen Blackish, but Tracy Ellis Ross that plays the wife, she's Diana Ross's daughter. She's considered light skin. Um, so yeah. You can even say Beyonce's light skin or Rihanna, like they're very fair, right? Yeah. The the reason I bring that up is because, you know, when I when I think dark skin, right, I think Nigerian, when you watch the Olympics and you see it's extreme dark skin, right? Um, At least a lot of them really are. Um, And I think if you put that in contrast with somebody like Barack Obama, you would say that he's considerably lighter, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying, I'm trying to think, you know, you're talking about how it's more palatable. and of course, things are changing, and, and times have changed considerably, but not still enough. Would would Obama really have stood a chance if he had been that dark skin? Oh, that's a good. That's a good that's question. A question. <laughs> that's I, a really good question. I, I would say no. Oh. Desiree, oh. what's your opinion about that? Go ahead. I I would say no. I would just I just don't think later Americans would have voted for him if he was darker skinned. He is, he was acceptable. And I would think most people, even if they don't, you know, not everybody, but he was easier on the eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Paul, just, just, that was a question that I never even thought about. And just thinking back of the people that ran before him, they were Mm -hmm. all darker than he was. And they Mm. didn't really get as far as he did. Um, so and remember, Brock's biracial too. So you got to throw that in there. So he's biracial. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, it's, it's a funny question. I've thought about that a couple of times. You know, when you think about people who are biracial, who are fairer skin, a lot of them are still identify as black Americans, right? You know, it's not saying they, they, they take off their, their white families or white parents that they may have. It's just that the world sees them. And this is off subject as Black Americans comparable to what other society sees them, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, it just, it's just fascinating because I never, I, you know, colorism to me is very new. You know, when Alma, who sadly isn't today, when he, when he first brought it up, I didn't really understand what he was trying to explain to me. But um, now that I've got a better grasp on it, it's made me look at things kind of quite quite a bit differently to be honest with you because I I I don't 
I, I can kind of under, right. First of all, we can we can trace this back to slavery, which mm-hmm. seems to be the root of an awful lot of problems, um, <laughs> and and that leads up to today where it's still happening, but it's actually happening in the place of the black communities. Now I can. It's kind of strange because I, I don't know. I, I just think about it and I think, you know, if you go back to the days of slavery and you, like you said, you have you, the people that are inside the house and you have the people who work in the fields um, and there was a, a resentment there, you, you would think, hey, at least some some of our brothers and sisters are getting it a easier, you know, but instead it was a resentment. Well, yeah, well, part of it is that because from just from my research, they were seen, they were put on pedestals in a way to be to make them seem like they were better than their other you know brothers and sisters that were in the house so that is what bred the resentment not just not not just thinking that they're they're you know being better in the house or whatever but just because it was perpetuated through you know the the slave master treating them quote unquote better um society treating them better so after a while it's like there's no there's no way that resentment can't come out of that well and and how many of the people in in the house were descended from the master themselves yeah oh yeah that's a good point actually adam that's probably why they're Mm -hmm. and and then for a, uh, con- a control perspective, if you divide the groups amongst themselves and they're fighting amongst themselves, they're not fighting against you. Yeah, that's to go off topic. That's something that I was reading about kind of slavery and the slave trade in America is because they they started with Native Americans, but because Native Americans knew the land and it wasn't as easy to separate them. That's how Africans were brought over because, first of all, you separate them from their homeland, you separate them from their tribes, their cultures, their language, and then it's easier to break them and indoctrinate them into these ways of thinking to where it's hard uh, for them to break out of that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to think about it in the sense that if you're not fighting against the person who's oppressing you, you're going to fight each other, right? And that's currently what our current climate looks like now, right? And so there's a lot of oppression inside the Black community outside of colorism. And it's a lot of times you see that internal turmoil happen inside the own community rather than say, like, let's do better for ourselves and fight us and move forward the right direction mm-hmm. um, outside of that. So it, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to think about <clears throat> overall. Right. Uh, and I don't want to bring this full circle, but why why do you think it's happening still today? Because it almost feels like a form of racism within its own race. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think because let's go let's go to like the the classic action. Like when people think when you become um, a black man who is successful, the first thing they think of they either get somebody of a fair skin tone or maybe somebody that's not uh, a dark skin tone, which you'd see that often as social media and media shows you that. And so that you're like, okay, I need to be fairer skin and to get this type of person or this type of lifestyle. And so I think society has kind of perpetuated that standard. Now I would say in the last 10 years, we've probably combated that a lot. You'll start to see a lot of, you know, 
black is beautiful, um, dark is beautiful. And you will see that within that own community that they're combating it, which I do love it, but it took us a long time to get there. Let's be very transparent. So. Yeah. yeah. So, so the resentment's really still there because it's still seen that the lighter skinned stand a better chance of getting either a better job or a job. Well, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you you have to say it that way, that it's seen that way. It's actually happened. So there's evidence that that lighter skinned people have become more successful and because, because of their skin tone. So it, it's part of the resentment is that you've seen this and it, you feel like there's nothing you can do because of the color of your skin. And now to, to Jerrica's point, there's been a, a change probably within the last probably five to 10 years where you're seeing more um, examples of darker skin, successful people being pushed to the forefront, which has been combating that resentment and that hatred, but it's something that has been going on for generations. So it's not going to happen just in a five, 10 year span. It's going to take a long time. And a lot of the newer, the younger generation doesn't, I would say people that I know that are of the younger generation, they don't really prescribe to that. So there's hope for that. But the older generation definitely still struggles with that a lot, in my opinion. Yeah, I've had a friend once. <laughs> their grandmother was quite older. And she she told him directly, she was like, don't bring a dark-skinned girl in here. And that, and that was like her thought process. Like, I want to make sure we have light babies. Desiree, have you heard that term like in your in your family group or maybe your friends group? Because I've heard that a couple of times from our, I mean, elders. These are people who are in their 90s who have these certain standards in life still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not so much for me because I, my family is very much mixed, um, of mixed race because we're like, my grandma's German and my grandfather was black. So um, the, the divide for me more was so that people didn't believe my cousins were my cousins because I'm darker and they're lighter um, because th my uncle maybe, you know, had kids with a white woman um, versus my mom who had kids with a black man, you know, but that was much to divide, like, you know, and, and my cousin struggled because they were like, well, I'm black, but they're like, you look white, but he goes, but I'm black, my dad's black, you know what I mean? So it was, it was a struggle in that way. Right. It's a hard yeah. thought process. And it's, it's funny because when growing up, I remember I used to get Barbies all the time and the Barbies were at the time still fair skin. They weren't like my yeah. skin tone. And, you know, <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm a dark skinned girl, right, by all means. And I remember being like, this Barbie doesn't look anything like me. Um, and then gravitating towards a lighter Barbie or a lighter doll because that was what got attention when I was a kid, right? Those are the kids that people wanted to talk to, wanted to be friends with, and wanted to have like, all their toys with. But comparable to me, it was like, this is not exactly what, you know, people want to see, especially being like five or six. That's hard, you know? Right. And I think yeah. now, Jericho, we're seeing a lot more of that representation especially in TV shows and with toys where you're seeing various skin tones, which is definitely helpful to younger kids nowadays. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good segue, because I wanted to bring it back to the, to the Hollywood representation. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that's, you know, obviously a very popular conversation right now. And I'm thinking specifically of, uh, 
upcoming this December, they, they remade the film West Side Story, which has a controversial history with a lot of the actors who were white and they just put a lot of makeup on them to to better represent the you know the Puerto Rican population in the film. Oh, wow. I'm curious what I'm curious what the group's thoughts are on doing something like like remaking that film with um, you know accurate representation or you know I guess what are your, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a do you like that that move? You know, do you not? Would you rather just see more original stories told by you know that that does bring that that better representation? You know, it's interesting thought process because the West Side Story was located, it was, I think it was set in um, uh, White Plains in New York, right? If I'm correct, um, in the Bronx. Yeah. Am I correct about that? And it's funny, if you ever go to the yeah. Bronx in New York, it is heavily Dominican. And I mean, like, the dark-skinned Dominicans. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of, it's kind of interesting hearing that they took, you know, you said, if you're saying black people and, and <laughs> kind of whitewashed them in some sense to make them lighter, it, that doesn't make sense to me because, like, the community that lives there now and has lived there since the last 80s has been darker-skinned people. And so I think the process of moving them towards what it currently looks like makes more sense than whitewashing them. I, I, that may, that's interesting to me why they would do that. And I do like the new concept of having new series, new items. So, for example, one of my favorite shows is Insecure. Everybody on that show, Insecure, is a different race, different color, different tone. And Issa does a really good job of giving the Black community perspectively from a light skin, a dark skin, a mixed race person. And so you see the attributes of our culture inside that one show. Yeah. Um, I would say that I'm... I don't know. I, I, I'm all for accurate representation of stories so it would be interesting to see how this one plays out with uh hopefully they do it accurately is is that what you're saying michael that they're uh casting it with accurate representation of that area right yeah so so like in the original film um for the the representation of the puerto rican population they they darkened white actors uh mm -hmm. skin so for this one, they've recast it with, um, you know, people who would be from those areas yeah. to, to make it a more accurate representation. Yeah, so I'm all about the accurate representation in films like this. Um, I think sometimes I think Hollywood can go overboard and just remake the same movie over and over and over. And I, I, I'm all for them doing it the right way with the correct uh races the correct people that are from the area where the movie or story is set but i'm also all for them coming up with new ideas and new stories to tell so that would be my answer i i, I agree with Remar actually on this one i think you know michael i think i think uh the accurate representation is a good thing and i think west side story is also a classic right so it's not it, it seems to be a movie you know almost everybody's seen um it's it's pop culture. It, it's a huge deal, you know. Um, it's it's Shakespearean writing in in a modern era. Um, but I agree with Rima that you know I think it would be best focused on on maybe newer content and and casting the correct people in the correct roles. You know, you can even look back to Wayne's World, right, where 
um, oh my gosh, I've forgotten what her name. Uh, Cassandra was 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 cast as a Chinese, and she's not even Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I kind of get all I'm I'm all for if that that actor is right for the role, you you can cast them. But sometimes it's like, well, this story called for this type of person or this person that looks this way. You can you can't. Um, just put someone in there because you want them and i think it goes back to something that we talked about in our meeting before where uh i think it was 10 or 15 years ago they were talking about making a movie about harriet tubman and some executive had suggested julia roberts to play harriet tubman and i'm like wait a minute that (laughs) does not even make sense and i put that article in the chat for for the for what we're talking about and it just it's just crazy that someone would even suggest that in in, in a for a movie of a, a black woman that's so uh that's such an integral part of black history in america yeah are there any other examples of that michael <laughs> you know i i'm sure I'm sure there are. Uh, that that's the main one that that comes to mind that I'm very aware of. But I'm, I'm sure there are tons of other examples where that's been been done in the past. So, you know what? Speaking of acting, I suppose that that leads to an interesting question as well. Is that is it is are there more lighter skinned African Americans that are cast than darker? Um, I don't know if there's. Oh, we. Well, we talked about, remember we talked about, you know, French Prince of Air. That was a whole subject, right? Oh, yeah. Where you had the the first wife um, who yeah. was the main character in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And then they recast her to a light-skinned woman the next season. And we're like, oh, you look different. And then we're <laughs> like, yeah, very different. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the big, one of the big, I guess, Almost every person in the black community probably talks about that because Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was such an integral part of, especially kids that grew up in the 90s, their childhood. And then for the first three seasons, it was uh, Janet Hubert, who was a dark-skinned actress. And like Jerrica was saying, she was like such an integral part of the show. She was like, she was a history professor at the college. She was a dancer. She had so much character within the series and then they just replaced her with someone that who went into the background and it was like well and it was someone who was lighter skinned than her so even if that they weren't trying to do colorism in that that uh, arena they did it where mm. a lighter skinned actress came in to re- replace a dark skinned actress and yeah do we know how that came about, though? Was that was that? So, the, we I, we talked about this earlier. The backstory is that um, her contract was coming up, and they were rene- renegotiating contracts. However, she was going through a divorce. She was pregnant, and she was being labeled that she was difficult to work with in Hollywood. Uh, difficult. Yeah, particularly by there's a mm-hmm. there's a HBO special where they revisit it 
uh, I think they did it last year, but um, she was being labeled as difficult to work with. And from her side of the story, Will, Will Smith didn't do anything to stick up for her. And then as they were renegotiating contracts, she just had a baby, she was divorced, and they weren't going to be paying her enough to work on the show, and she wasn't going to be able to work on other shows. So she didn't sign the contract, and then they replaced her. But they could have replaced her with another person of the same skin tone. They could have replaced her with... They could have done it better than they did. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and it's a, a, it's a conversation that gets talked about a ton. Like, it, it's what's the 20 years, years, 20 years plus a year that we still talk about the replacement of yeah. like dark skin yeah. Viv to light skin Viv. Like, we're like, what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all good, Jerrica, because I know that you're super excited for the uh, new version. So, um. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am not. I like, you know, I, again, I want classes to stay classic because they destroyed things just like Coming to America got destroyed. You know, that was not a good version yeah. of that. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't watch the second one. I haven't seen it yet. I love the first one. Or how The Lion the King... The second one was not good. The Lion King wasn't good either. With Beyonce as Nala with the Houston accent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you still, but you still have James Earl Jones. Uh. Yeah, James Earl Jones was still there, but I couldn't get over how Beyonce was just Beyonce in this movie. Yeah, yeah it didn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, so one thing I do want to bring up is that I, one thing I did research is that if you guys are not aware that we have, um, there are color corrections for skin. So in multiple communities, in such as like the Caribbean community or even the, the African community, there are skin correcting creams that are bought nationwide to make your skin lighter. You talking about and bleach? that is something bleaching. You, I'm talking about bleaching. You know I'm talking about bleaching. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Paul's face is like, what? They bleach their skin? <laughs> yes. So Paul, inside the community, yeah. Go go, Remar, if you have more detail about it. I'm going to send you a picture of baseball great Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa. So you'll see. Have you seen, have you seen this picture? Yeah. Michael, you can cut this part out of the podcast, but it reminds me of something a previous administration was telling people to do. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. So, this is so, <laughs> the yeah, the bleaching um the bleaching industry is a billion dollar industry, and it wow. affects mostly a black community, black communities or Caribbean or African communities, or on top of it, Indian, um of Indian descent or Asian descent. So it's a very big culture where people are taking their their pigment and their melanin that's attached to them that protects them against the sun, right? And mm -hmm. striping those and taking those down to be closer to the European-centric light skin version of yourself. Okay. So I doesn't. I got to ask this question on this because this one's really confusing me. So this is happening in their home countries. Yeah, all over the world. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, you made a good point. It's a huge issue in the um, Indian film community. Uh, yep. You know, that's a it's like a big issue for them. So yeah, colorism is not just like a black issue. It's like all people of color. Um, it affects all people of color because of the way that society views people of a lighter skin tone as better than people of darker skin tone. And then it does a lot of damage on people's like self-esteem, 
especially I want to say especially young girls because young darker skinned girls they see like lighter skinned girls are getting all the attention or whatever it is and they're like well they're not being attracted to me so I'm gonna lighten my skin is this both mm -hmm. men and women it's um I, I would think, say, I don't know do you know Remar I would say more women than men um or I don't I don't hear about as much men as women um, yeah, I would say probably leans on the woman's side of it because it's based on your attraction. I will tell you this. Growing up, I used to get this conversation a lot, and, and Desiree probably know this exact point I'm going to say. It's like, you're really pretty for a dark-skinned girl. When I used to, I used to get that, that, yeah. that, that exact wording. I haven't got it in a very long time. I would say last time I got it, I was probably college. So that's like 10-plus years. But mm -hmm. I remember people would say, oh, my God, you're so pretty for a dark-skinned girl. And I'm like, so if I was light-skinned, would I be prettier? So then, you know... You have that thought process that has, I haven't heard it in a while. I hope I don't hear it in a while. But Desiree, have you heard something like that in a while yourself? Or? Yeah. Oh, not not in a while, not in years, much when I was younger in high school and stuff. Or, or like, you know, for you grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, right? You said before. And I, I was yep. mixed because I was like in a military town. But, um, you know, I got very much, I, I could date you because you're not, you're you're not as black as or I guess I don't speak as black as maybe somebody else does <laughs> I don't know how it was just a very off-putting comment that people said to me and I was like I don't know what that means I I am what I am like I don't understand what you're saying right now yeah my wife has had that too where people say you're pretty for a dark-skinned girl or you speak so well for a dark-skinned girl yeah. and stuff. what does that even mean and it's I, not and Paul, it's not just from white people. It's a lot of times it's from people of the same race as you. Yeah. This, this subject to me is just absolutely fascinating. It really is because I, the, the talking about the, the bleaching of the skin, I'm just wondering who came up with that idea. Right? Like we talk about a lot of things when it comes to um, how how women should appear and everything. We're put out by magazines that men had, had done, right? Um, and, and what they expect to see. And I'm just, I, this one I'm going to, actually I'm going to look into this a lot more because this one's really fascinating to me. Um. You got, but you have to think about it. So if the, the standard of beauty from the 50s and going on, who was, the, who was the top leader of that standard of beauty? You have Vogue, you have Cosmopolitan, and who led that was either, you know, a white man or a white woman of their own right. standard beauties, right? And so... As a kid, you're looking at it like, this is the standard of beauty. I need to get to this exact point. Um, so I loved, I'll be very transparent. When when Beyonce and Destiny's Child and Kelly came out, I was a Kelly Rowland fan. Yeah. You couldn't tell me nothing about Kelly Rowland. I was like, she's my girl. She's killing it. And she was like, the, like her and Brandy were like my go-to people when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Because I could relate. I had braids. They were darker skin. And they were proud of it. Agreed. Yeah, you know, this is a subject I have a million questions and I have none at all because I think I'm just still trying to um, absorb a lot of this. I mean, I just. So, Paul, to answer your question about where it yeah. started, uh, just a quick Google search says it started in the Victorian era with the age of powder and paint, where the 
the ghastly white look, the ghostly white look was uh, seen as like beauty, royalty, the epitome of beauty. So that's that's saying where it started historically. And that, and that, I believe, was traditionally because it was a sign of wealth and affluence because you didn't have to be outside in the fields working. Yep. Like, like a surfer, a farmer. And then that's kind that's of slavery. It, it, <laughs> that's slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So it's working a flour mill, you were set. And and it's kind of reversed, at least in terms of wealth and affluence. When you see people with all the tanning beds and what our last president was doing. <laughs> it's 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 that is uh, isn't it incredible how people perceive things at certain times in our history. Mm -hmm. Adam, you made a good comment, Adam. Like you know, black people bleach your skin and white people then tan their skin so it's like where can we come this happy medium just loving your skin tone for what it is right yeah. <laughs> everybody oh. needs to get with everybody so we got one color but then we'll find something else to separate us so yeah it's going to be nose length is what it's going to be next nose length wow <laughs> no i just uh, it, th this one's blowing my mind a little bit yeah it's it's definitely a very intense, tricky subject to talk about because there's so many layers to it. And I think we're going to need to do like a part two with, you know, have E.T. and uh, Alyssa and more people on to just give their perspective on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a definitely a tricky, intense subject to talk about. So, so what would you say? Go ahead, Adam. Oh, sorry. I, I'm kind of curious to see what the perspective is from from a light skinned person because they're too dark to be white and be accepted by the white society mostly. Mm -hmm. um, but then they're also too light to be part of the black society. So they can't do they exist in kind of like somewhere in the middle or um, just from conversations with my friends who are mixed race. So like white mom black dad there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of anger because like you said they don't necessarily they're fit not accepted by both yeah they don't they don't fit into one character ca category they're not accept, accepted by both but on the other hand they're seen as black by society but sometimes in the black community they're not seen as black enough so there's this this uh confusion that happens within a lot of time often anger sometimes in my opinion you were going to say something jerica um I, you know who was a part of a really good example of that colin kirkpatrick i forgot his name because he you know i think he struggled i can't get his name out kaepernick. but that's the guy kaepernick kaepernick um colin kaepernick i think he struggled with it early on in his career you can see it you i think he talked about it early on because he comes from a multiracial family himself being adopted initially and then being adopted into a white family but having such a strong black features mm -hmm. um so you knew he was biracial you're like but wait something else is here and he talks about that early on in his his years of being a football player and then going into the nfl and then obviously where he ended up now so yeah and i, and I think you definitely see it i don't know if there's a correlation to this but a lot of I was just thinking about this. A lot of the top quarterbacks who are black are mixed. And sometimes it's seen as more palatable. You think of like Russell Wilson is lighter. 
um, what's the guy from Kansas City? Cam, Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Cam Newton is probably one of the only, like, I would I I don't want to say full black. I just want to say darker, darker tone. But he's often seen as a distraction or a liability, or he's just he's like. I, I, I forget the word that a lot of commentators use to describe him. Cocky, outspoken. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's not. He's not their Brady. The culture. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then there's Michael yeah. Vick, of course. Who? who oh did. yeah. And there's Michael Vick, the one that started out. <laughs> well. <laughs> but you think of like the way that a lot of. Well, I watch a lot of sports, and just the way that a lot of the commentators or the talking heads talk about the Russell Wilson's or the Patrick Mahomes versus like a Lamar Jackson or Cam Newton is like, uh, what are you guys talking about here? What's the language that you're using here? So you definitely see colorism in that too as well. And I love that Brady said this best because I shout out to Brady because, you know, I'm a Boston girl. Brady was like, I listen to rap music on the field too. So let's not start that conversation. So I think you can see it directly. Because he, he was like, I did the same thing. Listen to Jay-Z when I was playing football, when I was tossing things around. Yeah. Can't see anything different. So I think it's important for us to, to realize like there are all nuances in those words and those tones. And they mm-hmm. are reflected of what we what we present in our head of somebody of a black, darker skin tone comparable to your... You, you said before the Casey guy. I don't know his name. Um, what's his name again? Patrick Mahomes. Who is way more palatable, right? Way yeah. more palatable. You'll see my commercials. You don't see Lamar Jackson on any, any commercials, do you? And Lamar's uh, a great quarterback. I think he's on like one or two, but not to the level of Patrick Mahomes. Like you see Patrick, you see uh, Russell Wilson. And is that it? I think so. Mm. Well, Mahomes has the Super Bowl ring. So. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. That's got But to that point, to that point, Adam, Lamar Jackson has a Heisman Trophy. He has the MVP of the the NFL, and he's one of the most electric quarterbacks. So. Yeah, but I mean, that's sometimes that's an agency yeah. thing, right? I mean, how much is he out there? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I because I don't follow football, um, so I don't know who that is. I don't. I don't know who he is. Which one? The one you were talking about. Oh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, yeah. He is probably the closest to Michael Vick. That's what they compare him to. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, colorism exists in pretty much everything. Mm. Interesting. Except when you're a white quarterback and they're your linemen. And... <laughs> yeah. So, so what's what's happening today? Like, is it is it is it happening today? Is that divide still there within the black community? You mean? Yeah. I I would say I don't think it's as prevalent in like younger generations. Maybe. Um, and that's just my opinion. I don't think so, but I think definitely in older generations, it's still there, but 
we haven't really addressed that issue, so it can never go away until we address it. Yeah, I think I think right now is that you're you're seeing a ton of proactive work combating that. So you like, for example, I love seeing Dove commercials. Like Dove does a really good job of showing a very diverse image of people um, between dark skin, light skin women, and even like the commercials that are pretty much driven towards hair woman products. You'll see a multiracial race between that dark skin, light skin, different tones of skins. Um, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that are trying to combat it. Even like fashion, fashion companies are doing it now. Like you see runways, you see different tones of women run down runways. So I think they're they're it's intentionally trying to be impacted um, by by our society and people who are impacted. And I think on top of it, people are in roles now that are, that have the opportunity to make some imprint on that. Yeah. Right. You have people in those roles who are like, I need to see me when I go outside, <laughs> you know, or I watch TV or <laughs> or I see a print ad, you know. To, to go off no, that I, journey, I think, I think, um, sorry, Desiree, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say, I think like Rihanna does a really good job with that, where her, her makeup company and her, her lingerie line and her, her fashion shows of having a broad spectrum of people represented in showing her clothing, you know. That's exactly what I was going to say, Desiree. I think <laughs> Rihanna is like, uh, Jericho was saying there's people in positions of power to change that and just her having her own makeup line her own lingerie line all that stuff she's like I'm gonna show uh, all these different beautiful shades of black out there especially in her makeup because didn't she pretty much like change the makeup industry for for black women can, can we talk about that because I know it's off subject but can we talk about the struggle of having makeup when you were younger <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So, I mean, so we're going to talk today. I'm going to be honest because I don't wear makeup because I just can never find a shade that matched my skin and I never want to look fake. So, I, I don't wear makeup <laughs> to this day because of it. Like, I really I couldn't find a shade. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Try Fancy yeah, Beauty. I, she, got, she gets every shade in the world. No, I, I yeah. <laughs> but now I'm just like, now I'm lazy. I don't want <laughs> to do it. Well, let's can we can we jump into that a little bit more, Jerrica and Desiree, just being the female representative on the podcast. Talk about like how colorism has affected you guys from uh, makeup to beauty standards to hair to whatever, because mm-hmm. us, us guys have no clue about that. So, as a kid, I grew up classically trained ballet. Right, I spent all my adolescence in a studio being doing ballet and being dressed up in makeup and all the crazy things that, that's attached to it. The two things I remember as a kid between the age of like five to probably like 18 was that makeup. We ne- I never can find makeup that would fit my skin tone. So I'd be there with the pasty skin tone on the makeup on stage that didn't match me, matched my, you know, matched part of my face, not part of my skin because it wasn't available. They just didn't do it. They didn't go past a certain tone which was like, you know, the 42. And they're like, that's done. We're not going past that. Nobody, nobody else is that skin color in the world. And then on top of it, the tights, we would have to wear tights and you would only have pink, white, or tan tights. Well, Derek is not tan. So my mom was like, well, I guess we're gonna have to have tan legs walking across the stage. 
And that was like thinking about it now, it's still like that too. Like there's there's tights that are not accessible for ballerinas who are dark skinned. Just like right. your your shoes aren't available for you. So attach to that, they're trying to do their best to ch- attach that, but that's attached to color because they didn't think people of those skin tones wanted to dance, wanted to be ballerinas, wanted to be on stage. And it was a struggle for me as a kid. And thank God I don't have that struggle now. So right. what about you, Desiree? Um, for me, it would just be more with hair products because, like, I, I'm, like, the in-between hair. So, like, a struggle with just, like, hair product, trying to find a hair product that worked for me that was not, you know, gel. <laughs> you know what I mean? To slick my hair back or, you know what I mean? But not keep it frizzy and hydrated. That wasn't grease that weighed it down either. You know what I mean? Hair grease. So, that was always a struggle for me besides the makeup thing. I just yeah. didn't wear it. Yeah, but, you know, color, think about it. You had Maybelline, CoverGirl. They never <laughs> had really yeah. dark skin makeup back then. Those were not <laughs> items that they put their investment or money into. Um, I laugh about it now, but I'm, like, laughing at my pain. Like, oh, that was so sad. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's always interesting now seeing a Rihanna or a NYX or these brands that have these multiple colors, different undertones, different um, features that have these, you know, even to a light skin version of a white light skin girl, like they still need some pigmentation inside their makeup too, right? And so that yeah. that type of diversity inside of, of color is important for people like myself and Desiree and anybody else who's listening to this call. Yeah, I mean, to go off of what you're talking about, I feel like Rihanna and Fenty Beauty pretty much changed the entire beauty industry because before um, she started doing that with the different shades and undertones and all that stuff, none of the other big brands were doing it. And now they all, they were forced into doing it now. So, you know, Rihanna, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. I know she's not listening to this, but, you know. Shout out to Rihanna. Shout out to the bad girl okay. Riri. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I'm I'm trying to so so you don't think it's going on as much as it as it was. It is basically what it comes down to. But as far as companies and job opportunities, do you do you see that? Do you still think that that's very similar? That the lighter skinned people seem to well, Jerrica works in HR, so we'll let her talk about this. <laughs> of course, you toss it over to the HR girl, right? <laughs> um, you know, that's a hard one to define, in my opinion, because that's really based off of your own bias that you have as a recruiter or somebody in HR. And I would hope somebody who, like myself or an HR person, would see somebody and say they're qualified for a job, regardless fact of who they are. Um, and then move towards the diversity part of it. Like, do we need diversity inside of our workforce, which we always do, right? Because we want to represent every single person that comes into the company as a as a person. So I think it's I think when you see it in the dated terminology of, of corporate jobs, not currently. I, I I don't know this on top of my head. I would say that people are more comfortable with fair skinned people coming into the office, especially corporate office jobs, right? You had a lot of people doing manual jobs who are more darker skinned at the time so for example like all of the shows we watched growing up you know you didn't see the dark-skinned doctor <laughs> you know right. that was like something that was not often common you know maybe had cosby 
well, let's not talk about Cosby. That's, but that was an example of one person who was, I think, more of a darker tone. But on average, you typically saw a fair skin with the higher roles, higher paid jobs, better opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Because I, I was just I was just curious, because obviously we had the news of Colin Powell this weekend, um, you know, passing away. And, you know, I, was, I just because of everything we've been talking about, I just Googled him and he seems to be extremely light, um, I would say, in, <laughs> in uh, comparison. So now now you're making me completely rethink my world. So um, which is probably good. Well, let's let's go through the process of Michelle Obama, right? Michelle Obama, she's she's one of our she's one of the dark yeah. girls like us, right? And she got hounded <laughs> throughout uh. her, her time as as first lady. Um, it, you know, her not being attractive and her not being her being a strong black woman, right? Like that, and some people said she wasn't even a woman. Yep, some people said that too. There you go, right? And then you wonder if it was like a, um, a Kamala Harris. Like Kamala Harris got attacked in some sense, but they didn't question her womanhood, right? Right. I, I don't understand the questioning of Michelle Obama's womanhood, but, but having said that, I would never arm wrestle her. <laughs> that, that, that could be your first clue. That's why some people tried to question it. Yeah. But why? Because she's fit, she's strong, she's outspoken, <clears throat> she's... She, she knows who she is and she's happy with herself. I mean, it just, yeah. that's a whole nother subject though. Yeah. We need to do a podcast, strong black woman podcast, just to let you know, toss out the males and bring all the females in just to say, just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I, I think, I think we should. I mean, there's so many of them. Um, well, even yeah, to... but I think, yeah. Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead. Remar. No, go ahead. Well, even. Back to Colin Powell, Powell um, I remember when Condoleezza Rice was in office, and she's fair-skinned as well. And I never heard any of those comments that Michelle Obama got. Never heard any of those comments to her. So it definitely paints a picture that colorism was definitely there in the, the conversation when she was in office as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard not to unsee it now. Now we yeah. showed you Paul, and you're like, I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's what well, I never saw. It, I never saw it before, but now I'm now I will, and it, it's just um, it's just fascinating because you know, I, like you know, I kind of joked around saying you know I've never experienced colorism, you know, and, but yet yeah, there are varying degrees of of white as well. You've got extremely pale to olive tan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't we call? I I would say if we're if we're putting us in there, I would say people who have the gingers of your group are the are your are the ones that people shame the worst. <laughs> the, the Scottish, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> so it's everywhere. It just doesn't stop, and I, I don't know what I don't. You know, I think all we can do at this point is make sure we teach our children, mm-hmm. our future children, that color is beautiful. Like all color is beautiful as we progress them through their adulthood and love their color. I do it with my niece every single time when she's like, she's like, you know, I'm dark skin like you. I'm like, you should be proud. You should be darn proud that you're dark skin like me. So uh, I, I think I, you got to teach them. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you know what's fascinating about that, Jared? Because my daughter's nine years old and she has autism, right? And we've never talked to her about racism because we can't, she wouldn't understand. She, she doesn't understand half of what we tell her anyway. 
Um, but there's a there's a little black boy that goes to the same therapy office that, that she does, and she's never ever once ever said anything about skin color, about why why does he look like that? You know, which is what you expect from a child. Right. But yeah, yeah. So I, I suppose it just goes to show that yeah. It's taught. It's, taught. it's not a innate yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't been taught either way. Right. Other than you treat everybody the same way. You say please, you say thank you, and you treat people nicely. And and that's all she's been taught. And that's what she does. And but she's never it's just so bizarre to me. It's just such a such a because you would have thought that somebody like her would say something like that. Right. If you, if you knew her, right? But no, not a word. Nothing. I, can't, I can't wait till this next generation comes up because I feel like we're doing the right thing. I feel yeah. like we're teaching our children the right thing, the right values, what MLK told us. Like, I judge people by their character and who they are. Right? Yeah. And that was the goal for, that was the main goal. Like, judge me by my character. Because my character is who determines who I am as a person. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what Sharon said when she was talking about when she went to the integrated school. And she's like, you're not getting to know black people, you're getting to know Sharon. Right. Yep. And that's it. Just see see everyone for who they are and see the beauty in everyone. Like, I remember having conversations with people who told me they didn't see color. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That means you don't see and I get I get the sentiment that they're trying to say, like they're trying to say, I'm not racist. I don't judge people off of their color. But when you say you don't see color, you're not seeing who that person is and you're not seeing the beauty that is that person. And I would argue, actually, yeah, see color because color is beautiful. All, all the colors come together to paint a great picture that is humanity. Oh, man, I sound like a greeting card or something right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do that, but um, it was a good greeting card. Can I get that in writing somewhere? <laughs> I'll send it to you. But but yeah, just I think I think everyone's color, everyone's shade, everyone's it's beautiful, and it allows us to see different perspectives. So just see that, embrace it, and just love people for who they are. This has been another amazing episode of the Triple ALC podcast. I know we talked about a very heavy topic, and I think we need to do like a part two of this one with more people on so we get more perspective and more um, more conversation out of it. But, you know, just want to thank all of our, not guests, but all the people that have been on today, Paul Bancroft-Turner, Desiree King, Michael Steen, Adam Meyer, and Jerrica Lang. How do you say your name? <laughs> Langless. <laughs> okay, let me do that again. So I just I just want to thank all the people that have been on the episode today. Jerrica Langless, Desiree King, Michael Steed, Adam Meyer, and Paul Bancroft-Turner. I have been Remar Christie, and if you are interested in joining our ARG, just go to the SharePoint and click on ARGs. We are the African American Leadership Council, Triple ALC. And we'll see you next time on our podcast.